The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Outlander Business, the two-seater commercial SUV with over 2,000 litres of cargo space, two-ton towing capacity and legendary four-wheel drive technology. MitsubishiMotors.ie Hi there. George Hook here with The Right Hook on News Talk Tuesday's version. And if there are things you missed on the show, or indeed if you missed the show in its entirety, here are some of the highlights. The Department of Justice and Equality has confirmed to News Talk that a law changes in the offing, which they say would be in the interest of public safety. It would allow people to find out if sex offenders are living in their area. And it could happen during the lifetime of this government. Joined now by Dennis Nocton, Minister for Communications, Climate Change and Natural Resources. Uh, Minister, welcome to the programme. Good evening, George. This has been a long-standing issue for you, hasn't it? Yes, it is. It's uh, an issue that I came across in my own constituency back a number of years ago uh, regarding a, a convicted sex offender uh, living quite close to a place where, where children congregated. And I came across a model in the UK called Sarah's Law, uh, and we drafted a piece of legislation which was accepted in principle in the last doll. Uh, that would allow uh, for disclosure in certain circumstances regarding high-risk sex offenders that are living in the community. Yeah, I was reading uh, your local paper, the West Mead Independent, an article about you, and like you say, there are 30 sex offenders living in the Roscommon Galway constituency. You know, and that was November 2015. But, like, there probably were... 30 other kind of offenders as well. Now, if you're convicted and you do the time, are you not entitled then to be left alone, no? No, you're not if you, you pose a significant risk uh, in your community, if you are involved in risky behaviour, um, you know, if you have been convicted of, of sexually assaulting uh, a child and you're hanging around at the vicinity of playgrounds or schools, uh, then that's not appropriate. Uh, and that shouldn't be the case. Uh, while sex offenders are less likely to reoffend uh, than other offenders, those that do reoffend uh, have huge consequences uh, for their victim. And I think you know the changes that are taking place in the legislation will allow for a proper assessment uh, of sex offenders post their release. Some of those will pose a risk. Some will not pose a significant risk in their community. And if they're involved in risky behaviour, then that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I mean, hindsight is a great thing. And and particularly in these kind of issues, we are all then deeply upset when somebody who has been released then re-offends. And I understand the emotion and all that. But if uh, in, in my housing estate or anybody else's housing estate, we then find out that living in number 32 is a sex offender, then uh, his life is may not be worth living. Well, if the person that's living in, in number 32 uh, is out uh, playing in the green area at the front of the housing estate with young children uh, and uh, is not supposed to be in the vicinity of young children unsupervised, uh, then that is risky behaviour. And the parents of those children have a right to know in relation to that. Now, in relation to the legislation that's being brought forward by the Department of Justice, there are quite a number of, of checks and balances uh, in relation to it. One, it will give for the first time in law the right for Gardaí uh, 
to uh, make a disclosure if they believe that a person poses a risk. At present, they only have that on an administrative level, and it is open to challenge. Secondly, it allows uh, the public to go to the Gardaí and express concern regarding risky behaviour of an individual that they believe is risky. Now, in the vast majority of cases, there will be no disclosure made. That person may not have a previous conviction. But what it does is it changes the whole culture in Ireland and encourages people to come forward to the Gardaí regarding behaviour that they believe is out of the ordinary and may pose a risk to children. And we found in the UK, where similar legislation has been introduced, that quite a number of children uh, have been protected uh, where a person may not have con- uh, had a conviction before or may have had uh, a conviction before and the person that they're in the relationship with uh, was not aware of that. So it does set out as mainly as an alarm bell uh, to watch the behaviour of a particular individual, not necessarily to make a disclosure. But, I mean, all, you are putting, and, and like I've no truck with it, and I don't have to say that because everybody knows that, because most right-thinking people have no truck with it, but at the same time it is putting this crime in a completely different position of almost any crime. Yes, like, I mean, well, I don't know. Different well, I don't know. I mean, well, if, if, what if, about if a murderer is in number 32, you don't have to tell the people that he murdered somebody. You know? No, and you would hope that that person would not uh, reoffend, yeah. but uh, the reality is that in relation to particularly uh, sex offences, where someone is very viciously assaulted, uh, and if another person is viciously assaulted by an individual at some future date, and steps could be taken to protect them, then I believe that those steps need to be All right. taken. There, what we're talking about here is strengthening the law in this area. Okay. It's not going to be something that's going to be published online. It won't be common knowledge, but we need to bring the balance back in relation to the but, communities and not leave all it, of the uh, power. No, no, but like it'll be, on, it'll be on Twitter and it'll be on Facebook. And it'll no, be it everywhere. won't. But and, and, will. And, and, and that hasn't been found to be the case uh, in the UK uh, where they've introduced it. Um, what has been introduced in the United States is completely different to what we're proposing here uh, and the Gardaí will make a judgment based on the risk but what it does is it changes the whole culture in this country it encourages people for the first time to come forward to the Gardaí uh, if they believe that someone is behaving in a suspicious manner around children which doesn't happen at the moment all right, my guest is the Minister for Communications, Climate Change and Natural Resources, Dennis Nocton. The Department of Justice have confirmed they're going to bring in a law change, which you've heard the Minister des- to describe, that uh, high-risk offenders, people could know about it. But if, if they're high-risk, because that's an important word, and you've used it quite a few times correctly, so if they're high-risk, maybe they shouldn't be on the street. Yes, but if they serve their sentence, exactly, uh, there is nothing that the, the Gardaí can do or, or the prison service can do in relation to it. And, you know, what we're talking about here is a whole suite of measures uh, to deal with sex offenders post their release. This is only one small aspect of it. There needs to be far greater supports uh, put in place. There needs to be a far greater incentive 
for sex offenders when they're in uh, prison to avail of treatment and those treatment services need to be provided both in prison when, and when they come out uh, of prison. So we're talking about one small piece in a large suite of services that need to be put in place to ensure that one, uh, these offenders do not reoffend, but secondly, that we can actually address this problem at source and that where people you know, may themselves feel that they pose a risk to someone, that the support services right. are put in place for them in the first place rather than waiting for an offence to be committed. But there's two things, like, if you were a 15-year-old kid in America and you stole a motor car and that was the only crime you committed, um, you'd, be, you'd have an electronic tag around your ankle for the next couple of years. Why, why can we not electronically tag them? The, I think it's the 1930s, and I'll confess I'm not certain. Um, I think it was the 1930s where sex offenders were castrated. There must surely now also be a vast suite of, of chemicals that are available. If we're also, uh, you know, hung up on this issue, then surely we should be taking uh, much more serious steps. Well, look, in relation to the issue of electronic tagging, uh, there is legislation coming forward in this area. In fairness to the Irish prison, prison service, they have purchased uh, 50 electronic tags uh, to facilitate the tagging of high-risk sex offenders post their release from prison. What require, we require now is legislation. Okay. We now have a doll in place. We have a new government in place. Uh, and I would expect that the Minister for Justice will make this issue a priority because I think child protection needs to be uh, a priority in this state and we need to see this legislation brought forward. That will facilitate the tagging of uh, those high-risk offenders. Yeah, so but, yes, all right, is. Minister, but in that article in the Independent, I thought you would use a pretty emotive language, and I'd like to put it to you. You said, for instance, at present, once a sex offender registers their official re- address in Roscommon or Galway with a guard station, say Bally James Duff, and then you say they can roam around the country for f- six days once they turn up at the address a week later. That's highly emotive. Are you suggesting that that they can't actually, like, if they're in Galway, get in a bus and go up to Ballina. I mean, of course they're going to be. That's what freedom is about, surely, after, you, you know. We seem to be treating these offenders in a completely different way from any other kind of offender. Yes, and I've admitted that we're treating them in a different way from other types of sex of offenders, and I make no apology for that. Now, in the UK... Uh, the, if you're on the sex, offen- sex offenders register in the UK, uh, if you move from your location for, for more than two days, you must inform the police authorities there uh, of that fact. Okay. However, in Ireland, uh, you uh, can be released from Arbor Hill Prison today. You have seven days in which to register with any Garda station in the country. And that could be Bantry Garda station in West Cork. You could give your address in Malinhead in Donegal. And once you spend one out of seven days at that address in Malinhead in Donegal, you are complying with the current law regarding the sex offenders register. So the sex offenders register is not fit for purpose. And one of the changes that the minister will be bringing forward is a significant reform of that sex offenders register, which would facilitate the Gardaí in monitoring sex offenders. All right. Well, I have to say on a totally separate note, Dennis Nocton, you've really settled into the ministerial role. You sound very ministerial. Thanks very much, (laughs) George. Uh, I've a large portfolio to deal with. In fact, today we were dealing with online trading vouchers. 
hopefully we'll get people interested in selling their business online. Okay, thank you for joining me. Minister of Communications, Climate Change, Natural Resources, and and soon to be Minister for the Environment, Dennis Nocton. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie In the last few days, we had a situation where uh, a boat of uh, a boatload of Albanian migrants uh, had to be pulled out of the open sea uh, near Kent. I'm joined now by former head of the Royal Navy and former Minister for Security, Admiral Lord West. Uh, Lord West, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Thank there, you. There, one of the issues here is uh, apparently the British coastline is 7,700 miles. Uh, unpatrollable, I would have thought, but particularly unpatrollable at a time when the Royal Navy is getting less resources than ever before. Yes, I, I, but I think, the, um, I think the question really is which uh, government department is responsible for it. And at the moment in the UK, there's very little coordination. It's, uh, I think it's a bit of a mess, and I think the government have been hiding their head in the sand. But we need a, you know, quite a number of what I'd call... Um, border force patrol vessels, but also there are Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs uh, Coast Guard cutters. There are also maritime Coast Guard agency vessels. The, the police in each county, of course, have a certain responsibility in the National Crime Agency. And then, of course, overriding the whole lot, as you say, are, are warships, you know. And uh, what's, what's happened is, really, I think, although a number of us have been saying, look, particularly the East Coast and the Channel Coast are very vulnerable to people coming in from the continent now that we've tightened up security in ports like Dover and Hull and Immingham. Um, very little has been done um, by the government. They've, I think they've hit, put their head in the sand. And they've even cut uh, contracts for um, aerial surveillance, which, of course, allow you to cover much wider areas and point out things of interest to ships to go and investigate. And and I'm afraid it, it's not a very good story. But um, if you, if you, when you talk about the East Coast in particular and Channel Coast, I mean, we're talking about a stretch of water that people have actually swum. <laughs> you know, it's that narrow. Um, now, um, in a way, I would have thought it might well be easier to get across the Channel in summertime than it might be to get across the Mediterranean. And if there are migrants cooped up in, in, in Calais and other places who can't get through the tunnel because of the security thing, it, it's not going to be long before, and many people are now saying it, that we're going to see people washed up on Britain's beaches. Is that scaremongering? Well, I certainly think if lots of people try and come across in small boats, there will be a number drowning because the Mediterranean, although it's a, a longer passage from Libya to, um, to uh, the Italian coast or, or, or to Sicily, actually the channel is, is in many ways far worse. It's, it's 29 miles wide at its narrowest. It's got hugely strong tidal streams. Um, you know, when, when people go in, they're going to end up completely different place where they think they are. There are a lot of ships charging around, and it. it's one of the busiest waterways in the world, which normally can't see small boats and things like that. Um, and I think we're going to, and they normally can't manage to do it in the hours of daylight, so they're doing it in the dark. The weather changes very dramatically, even in the summer. I mean, this is so-called summer now. We've had rain most of the day, and we've got about uh, 20 knots of wind blowing. So, uh, 
you know, that, that's, our, that's part of our summer over here. So I think there's a very real risk of, of lots of bodies. And I think, for example, the French ought to say, well, hang on, do we really want to be selling inflatables to people who are clearly um, trying to push illegal immigrants across? Because actually we're complicit then in killing them, in murdering them. And they ought to be involved in this. And we need to be able to monitor the waters so we can ensure we get people and process them properly in this country. Because otherwise there will be lots of dead, exactly as the same as in the Med, where we encouraged people smugglers to send people from Libya by putting ships there and rescuing them. The people smugglers say, we'll get you across the Sahara. We'll put you in a boat on the coast of Libya. Here's a phone number you phone as soon as you get clear of territorial waters, and a British ship will pick you up and take you to Europe. Well, the aim isn't really that we're there to help them be smugglers. Yeah, um, you put it very succinctly, uh, but on this program, I could not understand why we kept sending ships down there, because the Irish Navy are down there, and we're very proud of them, and they're picking people up, and in fact, some of the women are having babies on the Irish boats. But but we are actually sending a, a, a message to people to actually, listen, come on over, we'll pick you up. It's almost like having a ferry service, but the channel, smaller but more dangerous, you say, but we've seen 18 Albanians um, picked up. Uh, but the, the, it has happened before uh, that people have tried to cross channel, isn't that so? Before this major crisis started. Uh, uh, and, I, and what I'd be very interested to know is how many people have actually succeeded. I have a feeling that probably quite a lot of people have done this. And I'm particularly worried about terrorists coming over, because one of the things we are quite good at in, um, in the UK is monitoring guns. You can, you can go and buy a gun. I could manage to get a gun in London, but you can't get lots of ammunition. You can't get automatic weapons and lots of ammunition. And um, of course, if you come in across some empty beach or under some little tiny port, you can easily not only bring the terrorists in, but bring in a lot of ammunition. And that makes you uh, able to do the sort of um, Paris type attack. And you know, we need to be very wary of this. But the lead, it's interesting, and I know you're not a politician in the accepted sense, the, the, the lead in the Brexit campaign for to stay a week ago was 13 points. In a week, it's dropped five. And the suggestion is that it is the migrant crisis is changing people's opinion on how they're going to vote in the referendum. Do you buy that? I think that's true. I think successive governments in the UK have, be, have pussyfooted around the issue of migration because of political correctness and they don't want to upset people and that sort of thing. And actually, they haven't realized that it actually an awful lot of people in the country are concerned about it. Not, not the chattering classes in London who are able to get lots of tapas and very good little restaurants with sort of people serving in them. But, you know, some of, particularly some of the working class areas in the UK and all we need, that, you know, that needed to be addressed. People needed to talk it through and talk about it because people actually are pretty good generally in this country about welcoming people. But when they are, are faced with what seems a huge number getting bigger and bigger, then they get very worried. And politicians have been really bad about talking about it, I think. And I'm not surprised that this is making a difference. I mean, I personally believe we should stay in Europe. I think it would be a terrible error to go. But I can quite see why... Immigration is making a lot of people think, well, I don't know about this. This is not a good idea at all. But you're seeing the biggest explosion in population now of any country in Europe, in fact. Absolutely. And 
And also, I mean, it's interesting, I was talking to some German colleagues, and they're planning on the basis of an increase of 24,000 a week over the next six months. I mean, that's just unbelievable number, isn't it? It's unbelievable. Overall, you know, the total figures of emigration, immigration, well, it's almost impossible to think of that number. Now, it's, as you well know, it's uh, the, the uh, centenary of the great battle of Jutland in World War One. Then in World War Two, without the Royal Navy, perhaps the war might have been lost. I started a conversation with you about the lack of investment um, in the Royal Navy. Your successor, who's, who's now the Admiral in charge of the Royal Navy, is saying this it will be a disastrous error by Britain to reduce the Navy. I and I agree entirely. The Navy has been reduced far too far. We, it's very interesting. In the national security strategy, it didn't even mention we're an island. I mean, you do have to wonder about people who don't realize we're an island. It does, does seem in any sense of strategy, the fact we're an island is fairly important. And we need a maritime strategy. I have no doubt whatsoever the reason we won the First World War was because we had a very powerful Navy. And the reason we survived the Second World War, enabling Russia and America effectively to win it, was because we had a very large Navy. And, um, you know, I think we've, we've whittled our Navy down far too far. It's very dangerous. And, of course, a huge number of Irishmen fought in the, fought in the Navy as well. So, uh, you know, I think there's, there's uh, sea in the blood of all of the people across these islands. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. It's uh, Admiral Lord West, former head of the Royal Navy and uh, former Minister for Security. Uh, Martin Cork says, did your accent change to defer to Lord West? Well, not to defer, but my accent changes all the time, depending to whom I'm talking to. Eh, when I go to America, particularly when I go down to Cork, my Cork accent comes back. I don't know why. I don't put it on. It just happens. Sorry about that. And then Sutton says our guy should be helping to patrol the English Channel. You're right, Anna. George, the Irish Navy don't have boats, they have ships. And there was only one baby born on an Irish naval vessel. Please stop scaremongering, Steve from Bandon uh, says. Um, well, I don't know what scaremongering has to do with boats or ships, but anyway, one baby, okay. One baby. Uh, thank God that somebody is challenging the daft policy of sending our Navy to act as a ferry for illegal immigrants. Let us take up the policy of Australia and only take people who have been correctly processed. It's similar to the, enga the engaging mouth before brain of Merkel in saying, come on, come on, says Yvonne. Well, you heard 28,000 people a week. Try and deal with that, Yvonne. Please explain how leaving the European Union would stop Albanians, Syrians or Libyans entering the UK illegally on inflatable boats. Johnny and Kilkenny. I'm happy to explain. The problem is that the explosion in the British population has not been illegal, but legal immigrants from the other 27 countries. If they leave, those people can't come. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie all right, uh, we're off to Sydney for our Australian correspondent, of course, Father Brendan Purcell. Uh, he joins me now. Uh, Father Purcell, welcome to the programme. 
Thanks very much, George. Great to be on again. Listen, um, there's a lot going on here, of course. The Labour Party want to kind of shut down anything that resembles a Catholic and or fee-paying school. Uh, How are the Australians doing in that regard? Well, they have a system here which seems to work reasonably well. They have a state school, which maybe some Irish people who don't want their kids going to a religious school. The state school here is pretty well developed. They have excellent uh, kind of what we call secondary school and primary school. So there's no problem about that here. It's probably there would be some in Ireland who feel they don't get a look in on that one. But there's also all the different churches have their own schools. And so they're private, they cost a bit more, obviously. They're supported very much by the state at the same time, a bit like what happens in Ireland. But in the last couple of, uh, let's say, years or so, the Green Party particularly have been saying that they're not happy with them carrying on, you know, basically a Christian morality. So they want to force on them uh, a kind of various kinds of moral approaches towards different sexes and so on and so forth that uh, the churches don't want to do. But their point is tough for you guys. Well, you're going to have to do it. Victoria is probably the most bolshy of the states. And they've <laughs> already said by the year 2019, they'll all have to sign on to this program. It's a kind of uh, uh, safe schools one, but it's very, very strong on everyone being told from some of the courses start from five or six-year-old kids. Uh, they'll all have to be told that words like boys and girls are heterosexual words. They've got to find other words for them. No, and hold so, on, Brendan, 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 Brendan. I can't let that slip by. Are you seriously suggesting that they're going to say to five-year-old children, boys and girls, you can't use the word anymore? It's younger than that, even four. They've got a little book called The Gender Fairy, <laughs> which sort of speaks about, basically, the, obviously, their point is that they don't have to, it's because it's not a sex education, so it's so-called, they don't have to get parental permission, so this could be done to kids as young as four years old. But so, I always, like, in that sense, it's pretty extreme. I always liked Australians, ever since I discovered they like cricket like I did. But they, the Australians have always struck me as a sort of reasonably sound race. Absolutely. They can't be buying into this claptrap. Well, I mean, that's the, if you like, but uh, to give, uh, there's a guy, for example, in the Labour Party in Victoria who said, who's attacked it completely. I mean, it's not getting, it's on its way. I, I, I used to be in Czechoslovakia in the good old 70s, the palmy days of the good old socialist republic there. And if you went out to fields, which I did go out, you'd see loudspeakers all over the fields. So the workers there, the, the, of course, they weren't peasants anymore. The delighted, happy members of the socialist co- collectives could listen to party speeches as they picked out potatoes. I was in Melbourne air- Airport a couple of just a Monday of last week, and I couldn't believe it. There was this big long rant. I discovered it was by the Prime Minister of Victoria, and the voice was kind of going on and on about human rights, but all sorts of stuff that I said, felt at least were at least debatable issues and so on, to do with gender and everything else. And I looked up then to see the monitor. Normally, if you're in an airport, you get a TV, and it's an, there was no monitor. These were just loudspeakers, just like in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> like, there was no escape. Here was I having my McDonald's King Burger or whatever it's called, and I couldn't get away from this thinking sound. So they really should take a look at themselves, as in mostly their Australians are a very fair, very tolerant bunch, but you do get this sort of excess. Every well, night. listen, um, I forgot to tell you, you know I'm a big hit now on the retreat uh, sector, do you? No, I'm not. But I'm not surprised. I'm I mean, anyone re- who can speak in Latin in, in <laughs> you know contemporary radio programs certainly deserves an, deserves an audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I'm doing retreats around the country. I'm very That's popular, that. apparently, and yeah, um, yeah. this is certainly next on my list. No boys and girls. Absolutely, because they do it over here. If you look, I mean, look the up Green the Party. 
the gender fair. The Green Party are in favour of cyclists, so they're bound to be in favour of this gender nonsense. Uh, I'm a forward, and the, the trouble is, I mean, I had this problem when I was working in UCD, that, and nothing, look, everyone has a free right to say their stuff. You've got all sorts of views, right, left, and centre. But I noticed that some of the people who would have been far left in my many years there have sawing away in philosophy. But all of a sudden, when the, when eight, after 1989, when the communist thing fell out, they, they all of a sudden, many of them then migrated over to other issues. Sometimes it could be feminism, I'm not saying they weren't all like that, but also some of them went okay. over to greenery. And so I think there's a kind of a connection. The big worry I have is force. Let's have a free debate. Let's not force people okay. to do stuff. Now, because you've got an election in Australia, this is a crucial That's right, thing. Exactly, yeah. yeah, but uh, the the um, situation is really interesting in Britain at the moment because, of course, there's a great Brexit debate. Of course, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, we're, we're doing a piece in the show today, in fact, um, because the migrant issue is becoming a, a major issue and is moving the the, the barometer in favour of leaving. Uh, because I just saw it went up 3% about. in the yeah. last couple of days. Exactly. Yeah. So what's happening in, in Australia? Because they've well, I mean, always they have had a great advantage. Yeah. But they have the great advantage. They're so far from anywhere. It's actually harder to get in here than it is to, say, New Mexico or whatever from, right. from Mexico. You know. But the reality is neither party... Uh, the, the, the view that Tony Abbott took a few years ago, which was his, the slogan was stop the boats. But effectively, the big people you were dealing with then were not the unfortunate, like the 700 we just heard died in, in, in the Mediterranean today or yesterday. It's not them. The big people who watch every little nuance in Australian legislation are the people smugglers. As soon as they see there's a slight little gap somewhere, they start sending these vile boats, basically from Indonesia over here with huge numbers of drownings. I think they've had nearly... Oh, maybe altogether a couple of 2,000 people drowned. And that was in a period when the government, the government that took over from Tony Abbott relaxed it. And these guys read the papers, watch the news, and suddenly started plowing people over again. So the only thing that works here is legal emigration. They're very generous. They let loads and loads of people in, much more than you, you get an impression it's awful hard it is. But nonetheless, they're very, very generous to a, a big, large number of immigrants. But you must come legally. And so the point would be they've got to keep that. And I think anyone, no wonder the Brexits are doing well, because if if you like, and I think David Cameron was born wobbly, you know what I mean, God bless us, if there was a Tory wet that was ever as wet as a drench, uh, that was our friend. So he looks wobbly on this issue and he could lose it uh, if, he, if he doesn't tighten it up. I'd yeah, say. but you are seeing protests on the issue of, of immigration in Australia, though. Well, whenever they happen, it's all, for example, the people who've been protesting tend to be on the far left. Now, again, perfect right to their views, okay? But when they, for example, something like 20 of the Labour candidates have said they disagree with, see, the Labour Party, to get in, have got to keep up Tony Abbott's view. There's no other view acceptable in public life. You're not going to survive if you don't, if you don't want to stop the boats. So the scenario would be that a biggish number of, let's say, a minority have disagreed with that. And Shorten, who's the prime minister, would be if he wins the election, he could well win it, knows that he can't get in if they do that. The, the uh, situation, though, in Australia, uh, as we speak, the, the, the government is what now? The current government is a Labour it's government? A coalition, a coalition, no, no, Liberal and uh, National, which is basically called the coalition, but it's basically if like the, the equivalent of a Conservative Party. And they're in because they kicked out Tony Abbott, who wasn't doing well in the polls, and the present Prime Minister is now doing worse. He's, he's preferred as a Prime Minister, but he's doing worse in the polls than Tony Abbott when they kicked him out. All so right. Tony might feel a little bit justified. So, so, so Labour could win that election. All right. Now, speaking of elections, I mean, you follow everything over there. Are you following America? 
Of course I am. It's my I'm far my, way ahead of the World Rugby World Cup, the European <laughs> Cup, the Soccer Cup. Is the American election for me every few years? It is enormously enjoyable. Anyone who isn't enjoying that, there's nothing wrong with them. So like, it's great to see that the two main parties are shown up for what they are. Both are emperors without no new clothes. The tailors are sick. The clothes are non-existent. And part of the, I mean, if you like, the anger of the American people on either side of the fence is almost the same. So Trump can feel he can maybe get Saunders' vote. Saunders, as we know, is not going to get the nomination. But if he was, he would be hoping to get some because they're so fed up. I mean, remember I may have mentioned before when I lived in Chicago, I mean, the Republicans and Democrats were basically the same party, the same group of upper-middle-class people who are milking the system, similarly in New York State and pretty well anywhere you can mention. So people are no doubt there. I mean, there's loads of good people on both parties, but they're basically fed up with what they feel is Washington. And I mean, I I think from very early, I thought Trump was going to make it um, because I think he is tapping in to what what is happening around the world. People are disaffected. Like you look at our election, you look at elections around the world, people are disaffected. Now. Absolutely. Well, Joe, you're in danger of becoming actually a prophet who actually is not only, you know, not only clobbered around, not clobbered, but actually honoured. I mean, you're getting ropey things horrendously right and you may well be getting Trump horrendously right. Now I would say from my viewpoint obviously I'm safe to the American people because I don't have a vote but I'm a niche voter and I mean the scenario there would be one of the groups Trump has got to keep in touch with I've no idea if he's genuine would be the pro-life people. He's named 11 possible Supreme Court people replacing the guy that's gone. Now that's, that would get him my vote for me because on things like abortion euthanasia I'm a niche voter I vote for that issue number one Hillary will do the exact opposite a, a Supreme Court person is in for maybe 25 years they're in for life so that would be the kind of thing while he seems blustering and everything else he's not a complete fool and like so he knows very well there are people he's got to get on his side and I think by the end of it it'll be a, what was the famous remark of Wellington about beating Napoleon it was a damn close run <laughs> I think that's what we're going to get next November <laughs> a damn close Listen, great to talk to you. Okay, thanks a million, George. Go go, go off to bed and sleep the sleep of the just. Thanks, thanks again. God bless. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The right hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander seven seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie I'm joined in the studio now by a family law expert, but of course now a Fine Gael TD, Josepha Madigan. Deputy Madigan, welcome to the programme. Thank you, George. And um, now we, we saw this story, which certainly a lot of people got excited about, where a child was taken from the grandparents because Tusla, the child agency, thought the gap between the grandparent and the child was too large. Uh, yeah. I got very upset. Yeah, Are we I, right to be upset or not? And I can understand your sentiment, George, uh, completely. But I do think we have to be very careful when we talk about specific cases. And it has been reported in the media that one of the considerations that Tusla took into account was age. And the guidelines do mention age and they do mention this 40-year age gap, right? But the regulations, the 95 regulations in relation to foster care don't actually mention age at all. Um, and that's very important that people are aware of that. But, you know, I do think that grandparents are the unsung heroes in this country. Yeah, but hold on now, you, uh, Deputy Madigan, I asked you, like, do you think this is right or not? And you seem to indicate, yeah, that was okay. 
No, I'm not saying that, George. I'm saying that I can't comment on, we don't know all the facts of this specific case. So it would be erroneous of me to pass judgment but in relation to a district court uh, um, uh, verdict and our, our, our order. And it is open, I believe, and I believe it is going to be under appeal, this particular but case. But the district court, like, uh, I, I'm no expert, but district court would just uh, uh, rubber stamp. The Tusla fellow would come in and then the, the judge would just rubber stamp it. Here's the expert. It says in this book of rules there's an age issue. Now, how can it be better? Because journal.ie with access to all documents, Tusla said, you're fantastic. We know you love the child. We know you want everything that's best for the child. Unfortunately, the age gap is too wide. What, what I'm saying, George, again, is that it is only one of the considerations that the guidelines are taking into account in relation to age that was taken into account in this particular case. And it is open at the discretion of TUSA to relax these guidelines. It is very complex, these particular cases. And I don't think that we can proffer judgment on the district court order. And I would hope that the judge made that deliberation with a lot of consideration due thought in, in relation to this particular instance. So I think it's very dangerous where particularly in family law which you know are, are, are a lot of them are, are, are in camera proceedings and unfortunately if, if every case was to be aired it would be very sad to listen to all the particular cases I have But it would also be exceedingly sad at the relative incompetence of many of the judges in those family law cases mm-hmm. in which I was I, I, I sat there and witnessed it first well, I, I certainly am going to cast aspersions on any of the judiciary What no. I would say though George is in Dublin we do have specialist uh, child care judges and I do think that they should also be available um, countrywide. We also need to look at the core considerations of the, the 95 as I said to you the foster care regulations and the Children's Care Act which takes into account the best principle uh, uh, viewpoint in relation to children and also the views of the child and there's a guardian at litem which is always appointed in district court proceedings so it's not as straightforward as it might appear um, in, in relation to the journal.ie and other documentation so I just would I just would ear, but you're on the side written, of caution no, but you've in relation written, to this. You've written that these kind of cases in the journal.ie, you've actually written where you say these kind of cases are going on all the time where grandparents are fighting for the custody they, of their They children. are. And there's, there's a distinction so to be made. So clearly there is an issue. There is an issue. And there's a distinction to be made between childcare proceedings and private proceedings. Um, the, the Children Family Relationship Act, which came in 2015, radically changed the law for grandparents, where they can now apply directly to the to the court uh, in relation to access, in relation to custody and guardianship, if there has been an application of responsibility by the parents themselves, for, and they've had the child for at least 12 months. So that's that's revolutionary. That never happened heretofore. Um, and you know, it's very very important that grandparents are looked after. But all I am saying, George, really, is that we we just need to be very careful. When we're talking about one specific all case. Right, but they may, all. like they might well, if they, the way the, this is going on, they might well have taken Michael Collins from the bosom of his family in West Cork as a child because his father, I think, was in the 60s or 70s mm. when Michael Collins was born. Uh, well, Randy as, uh, Wood is six 
69 yeah. and twins yesterday, maybe they'll take the twins off him. Yeah, but as I said, the, the 95 regulations do not mention age at all as a factor. They are only guidelines, but the fostering committee does d- does take the guidelines into account, but it can also dispense with them. So what, what, what I'm saying in relation to this case, George, is they're saying it is only one of the considerations as the myriad of different factors that have but to be taken into account. But why is age a consideration? Well, I think that it's a guideline. It's not in the in the legislation. No, it's a such. consideration. And, and I think that p- children, our children, should I say, grandparents are living longer and older, and we'll all live longer and older. And I do think I know plenty of grandparents who have custody of their ch- of gra- their grandchildren who are older than but the people involved here. But there's a reasonable possibility who, that people born today will live to a hundred. Absolutely. So these, but the, I think we need to get away. I think we need to, get, but it's not a law. They're only it's not in the law. It's only in the guidelines, and they're saying it's, the it's only one considerations. Uh, used it. But the first port of call uh, for TUSA is to see if the child can be placed with a relative. That is the first thing that they will try to do. Right, that's absolutely the first port of call, and they will try that in every single circumstance. Um, so I just think we need to be very careful that didn't. we're not making this about age, just age, because it has been specifically reported that it's not just about age. Specifically and, and from my, by who? Well, I've, I've seen it in the media, like you have, and from my own instinct as a family lawyer for twenty years, looking at this, I will be quite certain that it's not just about age; that there are other factors involved. Um, I can't obviously guarantee that, but that would be my, my summation of it. And also, the the adoption bill is now come in. It's at the second stage. I spoke about it in the door recently and where parents have failed for three years. Those grandparents could be in a position to adopt uh, a child in those circumstances as well. And that's very important that, you know, that we look after um, grandchildren and that, that grandparents have a right and an access to the court. But the court still has to do its job and it still has many, many factors to take into account, George. And I think that unfortunately this has been made about age, uh, whereas I would be of the view that it's probably not just about that. Why would you be of that view? Because I think that the court has to take other considerations into account also, you know. Like what? Under the Child Care Act. They're all delineated. I'll bring you in a copy next no, week. No, but Under I mean, the, the inference. The well, it's about, the best, it's about the best principle of the child and, you know, the no, voice the, the child has is, to be heard also. The inference is that if, if um, it's not age, the inference ha- is that it's something else. And well, we don't know. We can't comment, George, because they're, 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 it's each fact. You know, you know this in any case, in any matrimonial litigation, any childcare proceedings, any private case. Each facts are different. Do you know in the office I'd have somebody coming in saying, well, my wife got this and my husband got this or whatever. But each case is very different. And we, we have to we have to always be mindful. But of if that. we just roll over and say, uh, look, these two slag guys know best just let them get on with it, it uh, doesn't matter, then we're remiss. If oh, we, I, I if, totally if, if accept Tusla, that. If, if the actions of Tusla are not uh, put under a microscope mm-hmm. uh, in issues like this, then, because when I read you in journal.ie today, you said this this kind of action by grandparents is going on all the time. So it is, it's not it, an isolated case. It, it's not an isolated case, absolutely not. And it's also not an isolated case in terms of private proceedings either. And what I am saying is that I don't think age should be a factor. Age shouldn't be a factor when when a grandparent is, is trying to get uh, custody of a grandchild. But it is a consideration that is taken into account, along with all other considerations. I know, for example, grandparents who have health challenges 
who, ha- who have no, custody no. of their yeah, grandchildren. Sure. So each case, again, George, but, I can't I can't stress that enough to you. The letter, has to turn on its own right. facts. The letter seen by Journal.ie and quoted verbatim in Journal.ie from Tusla said there were no other considerations other than age. That's no, that's not, what, well, that's not what I read. Well, what and say? I'm not privy to well, the documentation in the particular case. What what I read was that it, is, it was one of the considerations that was taken into account were the age of the grandparents, but not just the only one. That was my reading of it. So we'll have to agree uh, to disagree on that. But, yeah. but in, in, the, the question of age is astonishing, given that people are marrying later, having children later, that grandparents are living longer, it's an astonishing guideline to have in the yeah, book. But it is, a, it is only a guideline. And Tusla can, can, can dispense with it in emergency situations or in, in temporary situations. And they do all the time. Um, but, you know, th- th- there's, there's always going to be, and I'm not saying, by the way, that the grandparents in this particular case aren't correct. And, you know, they, they have appealed and, and will appeal this, I believe. And that's what the process is. But the rest and, of and, us and, won't and, know. And, well, you know, well, you know, I do think when Tussle is involved, there has to be some sort of transparency that we can make sure that they are, as you say, is that acting, why the Minister for acting children, responsibly. Is that why the Minister for Children uh, is utterly silent on the issue? I, I'm not sure if she has said anything about this. I do know that Tussle has got another thirty-eight million since last year. I do think we need to give more resources to social workers. I do think that's going to be uh, something that we need to do. And as I said, I would like George to see dedicated family courts down the line, also. All right. Uh, that was uh, Deputy Josepha Madigan. Last time we spoke, uh, it was just plain Josepha Madigan. Belated congratulations, Deputy Josepha Madigan of Fine Gael. Well, thank you for listening to that digest of news from the Daily Right Hook. But of course, you can hear the full version in all its uh, excitement between four thirty and seven every day, Monday to Friday, here on News Talk. Do take care.